Good afternoon, everyone. This is Patricia Negron, today's host of Focus on the Facts, and our guest is Kevin Annette. He is a man who has sacrificed much in order to fight against the global pedophile network that has seized hold of our entire nation and globe, it seems. He's the man behind the movement to end the child trafficking and torture that occurs in the church establishments and also work toward disestablishing those churches and governments that participate. He is a community minister, human rights consultant, and special advisor to the International Tribunal into Crimes of Church and State. The mandate of the tribunal is twofold. One, to lawfully prosecute those people and institutions responsible for the exploitation, trafficking, torture, and murder of children, past and present. And secondly, to stop these and other criminal actions by the church and state, including by disestablishing those same institutions, which means to shut them down, basically. Kevin is also an award-winning filmmaker and author who works with victims of church violence and genocide all over the world. He's been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize three times in 2013, 14, and 15. In his two latest books, Unrelenting and Murder by Decree, Kevin traces the origin of genocide in Canada and globally, and he found all roads lead back to the Vatican. Kevin co-founded the International Tribunal into Crimes of Church and State and the International Common Law Court of Justice in Brussels. The Common Law Court has brought two legal cases against the Vatican, the Crown of England, Canada, and its churches for crimes of genocide, child sacrifice, and trafficking, and have successfully convicted all defendants. Kevin is truly one of the most courageous, intelligent, and honorable men of our times. He has dedicated his life to this cause. And as I mentioned, he has lost much in the process, but continues to fight on in the name of these thousands upon thousands of children who have suffered at the hands of these horrible rings. Now I'll bring Kevin on so we can hear about the latest regarding a recent trip to Dublin by the Pope and the controversy following him there, as well as encounters with massive protest among those who are furious at what is unfolding in the public sphere regarding the Catholic Church. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you so much for joining. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I was glad to read that you had some measure of success um, in Dublin in terms of bringing attention to the matter, and it seems that it really is achieving a critical mass in terms of public awareness. So could you please set the stage for us for the events leading up to this trip and regarding the work from your tribunal and what happened? And then maybe we can uh, go backwards and dive a little bit deeper into the overall systemic issues that um, are being uncovered. Yeah, sure. Uh, the uh, basic information can be found on our website, itccs.org. I'd urge people to go there. It has not only the most recent reports, but, you know, a history of the tribunal, which actually was founded in Dublin in June of 2010. So it's kind of appropriate that the news story today is about Dublin. As people know, uh, Jorge Bogoglio, uh, who calls himself Pope Francis, um, is has been on a on a visit to Ireland for the last several days. What's happened there was very interesting because, according to sources within the church who are working kind of off the radar with us, one day into the trip, after we went to a little village called Knock, 
there was an attempted arrest of him by three common law sheriffs. We know that for a fact because it's the same group that attempted to arrest him in Geneva on June 21st, which almost succeeded. In response to that attempted arrest, you might have noticed in the press there was a massive security around him in Ireland. The army was out. The whole center of Dublin was locked down. You couldn't get within six kilometers of where the papal mass was supposed to be held. People were being arrested. If you didn't have a ticket, you'd go to jail immediately. There was this massive hysteria and and fear around it, not only because of what we had done in the attempted arrest in Geneva, but there were massive anti-Pope protests. Uh, I've just seen a picture uh, of the of the field where he was to give the mass, and it was only about one third filled, and yet there's thousands of people in the streets protesting him uh, about not only the Catholic Church but the whole systematic concealment of crimes against children, the trafficking, um, the discovery of mass graves of children with dismembered corpses in villages <laughs> all over Ireland. Uh, you know, these stories are breaking out now. It's obviously it's a much deeper crime than people ever suspected. Now, what happened was, after the attempted arrest of him in the village of Knock, he went to a secret conclave of cardinals uh, in Galway, which is in the West Country, and a double, a papal double posing as him, actually conducted the Mass in Dublin. And that was because of the fact that not only did they feel there was a, a, you know, his life was directly threatened by this stuff, but the Vatican wants this guy out. Very clearly, there's a whole faction around the former Pope Benedict, who we forced to resign in 2013 in that Kamala case you mentioned. There's a whole faction around Ratzinger, uh, former Pope Benedict, who want him out. And, uh, in fact, uh, Cardinal Arinze of Nigeria is probably going to be his successor, a very conservative, traditional uh, cardinal. And so they're really using this, the faction around Ratzinger are using this as a way to try to lever Bogoglio out of office. But what happened as well was, and what really alarmed Bogoglio and forced him to meet with these cardinals, is that on Friday there were um, banning orders issued against three top members of what's known as the Ninth Circle. The Ninth Circle is a satanic network that operates within the Catholic Church. It has for at least three centuries, and it involves child sacrificial (laughs) rituals. Um, three people were served notices banning them from the community. This was Bishop Mark MacDonald, an Anglican bishop in Toronto, Canada, Cardinal Donald Worrell in Washington, D.C., and Vatican Secretary of State Cardinal Pietro Perlin. They were all confronted by common law sheriffs on Friday the 24th, issued a public banning order that actually said, if you don't uh, stay away from children and, and our communities, you're going to face citizen arrest. When Francis, Pope Francis heard about that, he immediately went off the radar because he realizes his own personal complicity in this. He's not only an active member of the Ninth Circle, but the reason he came to prominence in the Church was that as a, a priest and then a bishop in Argentina, he helped traffic children of political prisoners during the military junta there, the so-called Dirty Wars. And he was a big fan of the military junta. He's very implicated in a lot of uh, crimes and murders. And so he realizes that's all coming out. And you know, in a nutshell, what's going on is the Vatican is once again in, in crisis mode, and um, they're running for cover. So all of this is a result of many people bringing out the truth, the witnesses coming forward. And again, you can see a lot of this at itccs.org and murderbydecree.com. I, I have, so I think for a lot of people, uh, we come to these issues imagining sort of a homogenous um, entity behind the systemic corruption when it seems to be more often than not that there are typically warring factions within that corrupt system. And from what you're describing about Ratzinger and Bergoglio, it sounds like that's kind of the thing that's going on because it's not a good versus bad guy. It's, it's two equally bad factions yeah. at war with one another. Is that correct? That's very, that's very accurate. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of like talking about good and bad Nazis during the war. Like there was a system at work right. of mass destruction and it, it's really, um, really at the heart of what is called Roman Catholicism, but it's it's really, as other people have written about, a continuation of the whole ethos and empire of Rome under a new guise. As a matter of fact, you know, the best example of that is the official title of the Pope, 
Pontifus Maximus, the great bridge between heaven and earth. That was the title of the Roman emperors, Emperor Aurelian and Constantine. Since the third century, the Roman emperors adopted that title, and uh, the Pope simply took the title over. So he's actually trying to convince people that he is the only intermediary between God, and outside the Church, you're all going to die of damnation. It's that kind of massive mind control which allows these crimes to go on. Uh, I often yeah. wondered, you know, looking at these poor people who line up with their children, taking them into a church that has an official policy that says when children are raped, the police are not to be told and everyone is to be silenced. That's a breeding ground for massive child rape and trafficking, and it's really at the heart of their whole philosophy of so-called original sin, where children are right. evil. And you know, this whole sick system is at the heart of this, and there's no institution with more blood on its hands historically than the Catholic Church. Uh, just do a body count, and you'll see that. So it, right. people are finally waking up to this, even you know within the Church. Right. Well, I mean, even uh, you know, going back to the Jesuits, apparently had a role in colonizing the U.S. and all of the violence here. Yep. Um, I, I was shocked to, as I'm trying to read through some of this, that they really were have been, you know, a presence at every genocide <laughs> that seems to have occurred over the last 2,000 years. Right. If, if people go to murderbydecree.com, it's my book on genocide in North America. And right at the beginning, we show how the model of these so-called Indian schools, which is a misnomer, they were never schools, they were concentration camps, where Native children had to go by order, by law, and be incarcerated from age seven on. And if they didn't, their parents would go to jail. Half the children in those, that system never came back. They were deliberately killed off through germ warfare, tuberculosis, smallpox, that kind of thing. And the whole system was set up in the mid-1800s by the Jesuits. Uh, of course, they had been doing the same thing in Europe. They would convert the children of various kings and rule through those children, the power behind the, the throne, if you like. Uh, they were the ones, uh, you know, uh, trading alcohol and guns to the Indians, getting the Huron and Iroquois to fight each other. And they're also a big financial arm. The uh, Citibank right. of America, uh, Chase Manhattan, it's all heavily uh, controlled by Jesuit money. And Georgetown University in Washington, a think tank for American politicians, Jesuit run. I mean, you know, a Jesuit architect set up the outline for the District of Columbia. It goes really uh, way back, and of course the secret oath of the Jesuits says that they will use every means necessary to kill enemies of the Pope. Um, it's a, really a license to kill, and uh, we've seen how that plays out in history, you know, it, very destructively. Right. Well, in speaking of the, you made reference to the culture of the Church and the teachings of the Catholic Church, and as someone who grew up in it myself, uh, and also having the, you know, uh, benefit of um, distance between me and my experience in the church is that it really is. I re I realized that it it was sort of one of those early forms of trauma based mind control because you you are really told over and over and over again, you are a bad person and you need to spend your life suffering and, and fighting your way back to um, being, you know, acceptable to God. And that uh, if bad things happen to you, it's because you have not properly repented and that, you know, again, you cannot get to heaven without the help of those church officials. And, you know, just so it leaves people in this state of dependency and fear and utterly helpless to think for themselves. And, and they're desperate because, again, it looks like not only, you know, um, you know, part of the whole program is to impoverish people as much as possible so that they'll, they'll act out of desperation as well. And right. that seems to be very consistent with what you've described and what I've seen played out um, in real time, one of the and and just as all of this is happening with um, the Pope's visit to Dublin, I imagine you've seen the report that came out regarding the Pennsylvania diocese involved in a 70-year-old child yep. pornography and trafficking ring run by hundreds of priests out of the church. Right. Well, that's the norm, of course. Um, you know the. 
just on your first point, the any power, uh, any elite group in the world rules the majority through fear and confusion. So um, if you want to control a large population, you need to traumatize them at a young age. And so the the Catholic Church has been set up over millennia to do exactly that. That's why they work, work closely with governments. It's why Bogoglu came and addressed the U.S. Congress, even though it says in the U.S. Constitution that the government is not to show favoritism towards any one religion. It's not to tell people what to believe or prevent them from believing it. They're to have a hands-off attitude on religion. That's right in the Constitution. And yet there's Bogoglio speaking to the Congress and all the presidents applauding him. And every CIA director since World War II has been a member of the Knights of Malta. Um, it's, it's this whole insidious power because governments need this genocidal institution to so traumatize the population they can be controlled. We know that's the impact if you're traumatized at a young age. You can't even lift your thoughts up against the powers that be. And I think right. politically that's, the, you know, the role of church and state. That's why our tribunal is aimed at the crimes of both of them together, because they're really one unit in practice. Um, you know, and as to everything right. else, it's, it's like, um, you know, when you, when you see around the world, Catholicism really has its strength in the most impoverished areas. For example, church yes. attendance tends to fall off as people get better off, more educated, more affluent because they can think for themselves, they don't be afraid, whereas the areas where the Catholic Church is growing now is in Africa and Asia, and it's falling off in Europe and North America. So it's very much a religion of ignorance and fear, and it, it breeds on that. Uh, yes, and, you know, ironically, you know, my, my parents are Catholic, and I remember growing up in the Church, I wondered about this whole thing with, um, you know, the treatment of children and sort of, you know, again, when you're in an abusive relationship, you can't see it for what it is. And so now only looking back, can I recognize what was happening? But, um, you know, as children, you are simply not valued in that church. You are to be seen and not heard. You are to obey, period, and never question. And, you know, uh, physical violence is you know, standard operating procedure for, you know, devoutly Catholic families. And also within the the Catholic schools, my parents all went to Catholic school and um, sort of my grandparents. I mean, the stories are horrific one after the other. And so it may, you know, when you look back and, and recognize that as a child, you were of no value, it makes sense that they don't see any children as valuable, but yet, and, and then you try and reconcile that with the anti-abortion um, stance. It's kind of like, oh, well, they needed babies to traffic or something. You know what I mean? It's kind very of much. Like, no, that's very. That's not even a cynical remark. That's very accurate. It's a huge uh, money laundering uh, organization all over the world, and one of the ways that they make so much money, they not only launder money for organized crime. That's been proven time and again. Um, but it's a money-sucking organization. Do you know that uh, in the United States alone, in 2013, the Catholic Church brought in something like well over $11 billion just in revenue? That's in just the U.S. Uh, it's the only country in the world where uh, the Church has to publish financial records. Uh, but of that, those billions of dollars, less than 1% went to charity. Uh, you know, so with this Incredible. whole idea that, well, the church is doing good. No, it isn't. Even at the level of charity, uh, 99% of their income goes towards their corporate investments in the arms industry, in big pharma. Um, they own the largest uh, small arms manufacturer in the world, Beretta Limited, produces guns and landmines, right. 100% owned by oh, the Vatican wow. Bank. So people don't even know, even if you're a so-called liberal Catholic and you're into progressive issues and are helping the poor, you don't realize that you're also funding the, the most murderous institution in, in, in the world, really. Their ties right. to right. dictatorships and organized crime is massive. And um, that's why we say to people, when you put money in the collection plate, you're committing a crime under international law. You're funding what's called a transnational criminal body that traffics human beings, that, that you know, launders money for organized crime. You're not legally allowed to fund the Catholic Church, or you're complicit in a crime. That, that's a really great point, and I think too people are starting to um, 
grow resentful of the fact that the church keeps taking their money only to pay off all of these victims over and over again. And, and still, no one goes to jail. No one goes to jail. And the way that these um, this uh, Pennsylvania um, trafficking ring was working, the police report specifically noted that these were violent and sadistic rapes. So there's your satanic element. And I'm really grateful that that piece finally came out to, you know, in a more um, mainstream forum, because it's just too ghastly for most people to wrap their minds around. Yeah. But let me there talk you about, go. It's, yeah, go let, let me talk about Pennsylvania for a minute, because it's been in the news. Um, yeah. What happened there is a classic cover-up. The same thing happened in Canada when the government and the churches that committed this genocide got together and formed their own so-called Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which actually suppressed more evidence than they brought out. They, they put a complete censorship over the real story and put out their own spun version. Right. What happened in Pennsylvania was you might have noticed that all of the bishops of Pennsylvania approved the publication of the Attorney General's report on these crimes. The reason they approved it is part of the deal is Attorney General Shapiro said, okay, we're going to publish all this stuff and even name names, but there won't be a legal consequence on your institution. You're not going to get sued. You're not going to lose anything. It's called an indemnification agreement. So in return for the Catholic Church being protected, its assets and property being protected, they throw a couple of low-level priests to the wolves, uh, but they get minimal sentences, and all of the victims have to indemnify them. They sign off, and I've seen these forms. Uh, that Aboriginal people had to sign in Canada, it says, I do not hold the church liable for anything in return for getting this money. So it's blood money. It's paying off survivors and letting the perpetrators go scot-free so they can go and do it again tomorrow. That's the only reason the bishops agreed. So the Attorney General of Pennsylvania engaged in obstructing justice. They took the side of the perpetrator and said, well, they're going to be able to do it again tomorrow because we basically let them off the hook. And they, yet in the media, they spin it like, oh, the truth is coming out, now there's going to be justice. It carries on, like you said, it carries on and on, because the church and the state are colluding together. Right. Clearly. Well, and uh, did you see uh, the Vatican ambassador to the U.S., I can't remember his name, wrote that 11-page letter to yep. um, call out Francis on McCarrick? That's, that's right, that's and uh, that was in the is front page aligned? of the... I'm sorry? I was, I was wondering what might have, if you know anything about him or what might have motivated him or if he's in the Ratzinger camp or what might be going on there. What is your take on this? Is it a positive development? Well, it's positive in the sense that more of the, the uh, specific garbage around Bogoglio is coming out as a result, but also... And I'm just looking up the fellow's name, and I know who you're who you're referring to. Um, his story was yet on the front page yesterday in the New York Times. I just read it today, and um, he uh, with these folks. Sometimes you have to look into their background because I know in the case of, for example, uh, George Pell, who was a cardinal in Australia who went to trial. Uh, that had been arranged by the Bagoglio faction because Pell was a Ratzinger supporter. And there's this, you know, this big power struggle going on right now. Um, and so you have to check into people's background. This is another political ploy to look, make Bagoglio look bad. There's that whole factor. But nevertheless, right. um, he's alleging that Bagoglio knew about rape and covered it up. Well, of course he did, because that's the standing policy in the Catholic Church to do it. It's kind of like saying, gee, why are lions continually eating gazelles? You know, it's not, it's not <laughs> right. Well, that's what lions do, right? And if you look up the policy, we've, uh, we've reproduced it. Uh, it's in the appendix of murderbydecree.com. It's called crimen solicitanus, a Latin word meaning the crime of solicitation. It's been the policy in the Catholic Church since 1929. It says when children are raped, no one is to be told you are to cover it up, and if you don't cover it up, you're excommunicated. So why are they acting so surprised that from the Pope on down they're covering up child abuse when they're supposed to? It's their policy to do it. That's never mentioned in, in the New York Times and the media. It's, it's like asking, um, you know, the most basic question is never asked. They always act like these are uh, abnormalities when it's the norm.
Right. So do you think, so is, so it sounds like it's more um, theater, although it seems to help the overall process of exposing this in the sense that it confirms that, in fact, this has gone on with his knowledge. So for me, that feels like it's a, a positive in the sense that it, it's confirmation that we did not have before. And and while it's not going to have any effect on the justice system as it stands now, I, it seems to me that it further boldens the public community that is um, organizing to fight this. Right. Well, just on that point, first of all, uh, the fellow's name who made the uh, the recent denunciation of Bogoglio, his name's um, uh, Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano. And right. it was an 11-page open letter published on Sunday in which he claimed that uh, Francis uh, Jorge Bogoglio dropped the charges against Cardinal Theodore McCarrick, who is a retired Vat- right. uh, Vatican official. Well, McCarrick is in the liberal wing. So, again, this is the conservatives going after the liberals within the Catholic Church. That's part of it. But it's all part of the same mess. And the, the really interesting thing is how even in the most Catholic, conservative Catholic countries, you have the biggest revolt happening now against the Catholic Church. In Chile, uh, over the last year, oh, 22 Catholic churches have been burned to the ground by Mapuche Indians. Because in these local Catholic churches, Mapuche Indian children are taken and trafficked, and their land is grabbed. It's like the same land grab and child stuff happening all over the world to indigenous people. Mapuche Indians finally said, okay, uh, we're going to stop this at its source. Catholics have been protesting in the streets of San Diego. When Bergoglio went to San Diego, he was besieged in the Papal Nuncio Palace. He couldn't even get out. There were so many protesters. Same thing happened in Ireland. You wouldn't suspect there'd be thousands of people in the street protesting the Pope. And it's coming apart at, this, at, at the place where the church is being the most oppressive. And I think that that's really a good sign of hope, you know. Yeah, I, I, I would have to agree with you. Um, the, the story about the Tuam babies at the Magdalene uh, Laundry is just, you know, it's horrific beyond description. And But the, the even greater horror is that it, is indicative of hundreds of these institutions run by nuns and other church officials over the centuries. Of you, as you mentioned, there. Um, I don't. It, perhaps you have some updates there, but just for people who don't know about it, um, these Tuam babies, their their body dismembered bodies were found disposed of in what was a basically a sewage pit and in in a mass unmarked grave there were almost 800 of these children right and That's so it, it it's written t-u-a-m but it's pronounced chum in uh, like chum? The, okay thank you chum in gaelic um i actually have relatives nearby there um so i know the area fairly well i've done talks and everything in the area it's in the west country near uh, galway and it was the Bon Secours Mission. This was one of the, the Catholic uh, so-called charities. And it was a cistern. They found mostly newborns or very young children under three. They're skeletons. And what they didn't make the media, but we learned from the Garda, the police there, is that a lot of these skeletons were chopped up and burned and missing heads. And that's a classic case of a ca- classic proof of satanic ritual or some kind of cult ritual ceremony. We know the Ninth Circle operates openly within the Catholic Church. All of its top cardinals and popes are supposed to be members. We have this from a number of our eyewitnesses whose testimonies are up online, itccs.org. Uh, people like Tos Nienhaus and Anne-Marie van Bienberg in, um, in, in Holland we used to be members of the cult, and they go into great detail describing how it operates. But children are newborns are ritually sacrificed, uh, and then ritual cannibalism is part of it. They're, you're expected to drink the blood and eat the flesh of these children. Now, that sounds very similar to the Catholic Mass, doesn't it? Literally, the yeah, yeah. that if you eat that the, the communion wafer, this is Catholic doctrine, that if the communion wafer is magically transformed by the priest into the literal body and blood of Christ, and by consuming that body and blood, you're given eternal life. Well, that's what a Satanist believes as well. 
that you, you, you get the life energy from the innocent, and it will prolong your life. It will give you a, a power and energy over others. You see, there, there's a, not even a dividing line. It's the same basic belief, and that's why it can happen wow. so easily in the Catholic Church. So these things are all over the world. We found the same evidence in Canada at a mass grave we excavated in, at the Catholic uh, residential schools, Church of England schools. This is the norm, but the, the authorities do their best to conceal it and destroy the evidence all the time. Yeah, I, I mean, that that just goes with, and we just saw that in Pennsylvania. I mean, again and again and again, these crimes are uncovered and then no one is punished. Um, one of the things that, I, that occurred to me, too, when um, thinking about the Jesuits and sort of my father's, you know, reverence for them and their intellect. And one of the things he used to tell me about is how, you know, they were some of the, they were the, um, they were the scholars who, who did all the writing. They recreated books and they were one of a limited class of people who could read and write. And um, he, he thought that was so cool. But what occurred to me was that it, it explains perfectly how the Catholic Church is a human compromise and trafficking operation, and it was organized that way because if the Jesuits are the only ones who can read and write, they're the ones who can keep track of all the information that the right. priests are getting during confessions. <laughs> you know, that's a function of the confession. It's a way to control people. And that's, uh, yeah. Yes. I remember going through that because it's like, you better tell us everything, because if you hold back, not only are you guilty of the sin, you're guilty of hiding the sin. So, you know, you make things up because you wanted to be sure you covered all your bases. You were terrified. (laughs) And I remember my... They don't believe their their own doctrine, because if they really believed in heaven and hell, don't you think they'd be worried about going to hell for violating and murdering children? But it doesn't seem to bother right. them. As a matter of fact, there was a priceless quote from this uh, Monsignor William Lynn who went to trial in Philadelphia a few years ago for helping Dewey in his job, uh, which is to cover up the child trafficking in the Philadelphia diocese. Hundreds of priests involved in it. He actually said on the witness stand, we didn't think it was a crime to rape children. And he seemed very genuine when he said that. Now, it's not a crime to rape a child. It's a sin which can be forgiven. The crime... The worst offense is to talk about it, because what matters is the Church and its survival, not human beings. And it's that monopoly of knowledge that the Church always maintained. It's why they used to burn our ancestors if, they, if you owned a Bible. When William Tyndall translated the Bible in English, it got him burned at the stake in 1530 in, uh, in Holland. The Catholic Church tracked him down. They banned Bibles. They burned the printers who tried to... Because they didn't want that, that Scripture in the hands of the ordinary people, because then they could see how the Church is built on a lie. Like, you know, the quote, call no one on earth father, you have one father in heaven. Why did people call a priest and the Pope father? I mean, like, every time you look through the Bible, it contradicts what the Vatican does. And so they had to keep knowledge in, the, in their own hands, otherwise people might wake up. Well, you know, the waking up is happening now exponentially, and it means their time is over. But only if we force the matter, and that's why we... A lot of the work we do isn't to rely on the existing courts, but to set up our own common law courts, which we can do under the law, under international law, and in the American Constitution. It gives people the right to a common law jury trial. If the ordinary courts aren't doing it, we can convene our own. And that's what brought Bergoglio and Ratzinger and others to trial. That's what forced Ratzinger to resign in 2013, our common law court in Brussels. So uh, given, um, given the... Uh, and events that transpired over the last uh, week or so. Where does that leave you now? And what do you expect going forward in terms of next steps and your outlook? Well, you know, it, it's not going to change the nature of the beast. They're going to do what they do. Um, I often say to people, yeah, governments and, and, and the, the money behind them and the churches and the corporations – they're not going to stop doing what they do. They're going to do a spin operation. That's why Bergoglio was brought in after Ratzinger to put a smiley face on the Vatican and make everyone go back to sleep. Um, but that didn't last very long because there's so much corruption. It keeps surfacing all the time. They can't stop what they're doing. But the real issue isn't them. The real issue is the rest of us. What are we going to do? 
um, how can we condemn these things and yet keep giving money to the church or work with the church, you know, or rent their space? Um, we, uh, uh, it's very clear, too, that it isn't just people stopping giving money to the church that's necessary. Under uh, um, American law, there's a thing called the Financial Concordat, and over 100 governments have this agreement. It's a secret treaty with the Vatican Bank where taxpayers' money is funneled to Rome. And you might ask your congressman or senator about that. They probably don't know because it's a secret treaty. But whether like you like it or not, your existing system is helping fund these crimes. And there's nothing under, under law which uh, compels people to fund crime, and yet you're expected to by your own government through this financial concordat with Rome. So those are the kind of changes that need to happen. We need to get priests made public servants, so if they harm a child, they lose their license. They're out on their ass. Um, the Church has its own law for itself. That has to be done away with. We need one law for everybody. That's just democracy, right? Right. So what... So... Uh I understood from what I read that um, the security detail had been effectively infiltrated in Dublin, and um, and since the arrest did not quite succeed, is this another? Are you going to make another attempt, or what do you think, practically speaking, your next steps are? With the tribunal. Well, there's many people uh, waking up to this and other groups that are actually trying to make the arrest. The common law sheriffs that tried in, in uh, Knock, Ireland, and in Geneva on June 21st, those were groups connected to our tribunal. But there have, for example, there's a, a Washington, D.C. lawyer called Jonathan Levy and people around him who have been trying to get um, criminal charges and international arrest warrants brought against popes and cardinals for a number of years. They keep getting blocked by, by the various governments, but that's beginning to erode. And in fact, it looks like uh, the Spanish government is willing to issue those arrest warrants. And in fact, it was the Spanish government that helped force Ratzinger to step down because they had seen the information in our court docket, and they wrote to the Vatican six days before Ratzinger resigned and said if he comes to Spain... Even though he's the Pope, he could face arrest because he's aiding and abetting child trafficking, which is violating our laws and, and everything. Um, and so it looks like we're generating a real momentum, and people realize it's only we, the people, who are going to stop this. It won't be government or, or the churches. They've got to be stopped in their tracks. Yeah, I, I have to agree with that. I mean, the, 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 we have to figure out, you know, we've been in this dysfunctional system for so long, it's kind of it's a real adjustment to think outside of it and recognize your your own sovereignty and your own strength as an individual and then when you multiply that i think again lots of us feel disempowered because we're one person up against this machine that just takes people out you know systematically who try and expose it but um well of course that's the impression they try to create all the time, that there's nothing you can do that's too powerful. But right. we found in practice that's not the case. And, you know, in America especially, um, it's really a question of people just remembering and waking up to what America was founded on, which was exactly that idea that it isn't governments that are sovereign, it's the people. Remember, John Adams wrote once that America is unique in history in that it's the first time that you have a nation of sovereigns, men and women who are beholden to no authority except God, and their own conscience. And they create governments, and they can remove governments, right? Thomas Jefferson's right to revolution. Every generation, you should have a revolution. That's what the Founding Fathers said. We need to replace the systems of government. It's not subversive. It, on the contrary, to maintain those systems of oppression is what's subversive. And, and you know, right. the people have the right to replace them at any point. Now, how you do that, you know, is very simple. It's about common law and taking back your authority. And we actually have training programs where we work with people to do that. Um, one of, If you go to Amazon.com and put in my name, Kevin Annett, A-N-N-E-T-T, you'll see one of the books we put out is a common law training manual and gives you a 12-step procedure, how to convene a, a common law court in your community on any issue, not just child abuse. But, you know, uh, I was down in Sacramento helping people try to stop the smart meters, um, you know, in their communities that are emitting radiation, um, taking on police and court corruption, accountability of public officials, 
any of that, all of that was, is within our hands. And what more important issue to convene these courts on than the protection of our children? That's basic. That's the survival of our species requires that we stop this massive torture of our children being done by the people and authorities. So that, to me, is, is a thing that can unite everybody across political and religious differences. And it really seems to be working. I, I have to say, it's it's nice to be able to um, look around on social media and you can see that happening, that people from yeah. very different ends of the spectrum are very much aligned on this matter. One of the things I was uh, researching Roman history, um, trying to understand like where these bloodlines originate and how these systems were created. And one of the, the things that um, sort of jumped out at me was I was when the uh, monarchy, Roman monarchy transitioned to a republic, it only was effective for about 15 years before, um, you know, the plebes revolted because, and this sort of underscores what the quote from Thomas Jefferson that you just said, every generation, <laughs> and back then 15 years, 20 years was a generation because the system had become so corrupt so quickly. But the other thing that, uh, you know, about the Romans was that they, they never gave up and that's how they were successful. And that's what's going to make us successful is that they just, they would not back down the plebes. And so, and they, and the other thing to your point, that was an interesting parallel was that, you know, the way what they did was simply walk away from the Senate. They just left them where they were and they went and set up their own little thing somewhere else. <laughs> and um, well, They had no one, they went left. And that's, that's basically figuratively speaking, what we have to do. We have to walk away from this system exactly. of corruption and start tra- trailblaze our path. Uh, forward with one that serves well, our us and our kids. It. It's the only way real change happens is when you create something yeah. for yourself rather than trying to reform the existing system that, you know, anyone who tries to go through the standing courts these days know how rigged the whole system is uh, oh, yeah. against people. And uh, why deplete our energy when we can establish something new and bring people out of the old into that? And that's really so empowering when I see that people starting to do that. The impact, I mean, here's one example. Just a couple of dozen of us in Canada over about 10 to 15 years forced the truth of, of genocide onto the national agenda. We forced the government to apologize. We have, that whole movement then carried on a help force the Pope to resign. Imagine that has more power than thousands and thousands of people standing around waving placards on a protest because protest by itself is dead end. It, it's asking the system for something when we need to create it ourselves. And that's really our whole philosophy now, that local self-governance, self-empowerment, that's really the way to go, like you were saying. Well, I'm, I'm so excited for the momentum I see developing behind this, and I'm very hopeful that we'll, we'll finally see some change. How do you, do you have any sense of sort of where, so as a public you you mentioned you know protesting is you know you're not you're not demanding anything specific like it doesn't it doesn't have a a concrete objective and you and so setting up these tribunals and really people tr- you know testing this out and trying to cut their teeth on um what you've laid out on your website would seem like the most productive way people could start spending their time if if they're focused on changing this rather than, you know, we've exposed all the, we've exposed everything. We know it's, we know what it is. It's out there. Yeah. And, and now we've also not only laid out the evidence, we've laid out the proof that it is not going to get addressed by the systems in place. And so it, it seems like the logical next step is for people to just, you know, as we have done all along, to start testing this out and seeing right. what kind of traction they can get. And just the experience of it, I think, too, would be helpful to others as they then right. you know, take a stab at it wherever they are. Well, you know, there's something, oh, there's an advantage in anything. It's a matter of just not uh, staying at, on one thing, but uh, continuing on. 
uh, a protest by, by itself is a first step. Uh, you know, people meet each other, they get activated, but then the question is, are you asking for something or are you going to make it yourself? Um, you know, it, and, and so ultimately, for example, take the case of child trafficking. It happens in every neighborhood. Every Catholic priest in your community is obligated to cover up child abuse. No child is safe in the Catholic Church for that reason. So we have to monitor those people. We need to have set up neighborhood watch. We've got to go to the local Catholic priest and say, and we do this, we say, here's a form. You have to promise to protect children, regardless of what the Church tells you to do, regardless of what the policy is. You will protect the children, and if you don't, we are going to consider you an accessory to a crime, and we could arrest you. Make those citizen arrests against known child-raping priests. Banish them from the community. That's happened in Aboriginal communities in Canada. They've driven the church off their reservations for that reason. Um, and it's, when you take one step like that and are able to achieve something, it's amazingly empowering. We invite the local police um, to our common law workshops to train them, because most cops, they're trained in statute law, but they don't really understand what the law is. They're, they're, they enforce right. statutes from the government, but they don't understand that without your consent, a statute has no authority over you. Uh, you know, the Supreme Court in the U.S. has said that time and again, Oliver Wendell Holmes, famous ruling saying, a statute without consent has no authority, no binding authority over anyone. And so the cops need to be educated about that. They need to get on our side. In the states, you're able to do that because you have the county sheriffs that are elected by the local people. They're not beholden to the federal government at all. You're already set up in America to do a lot of these things that most countries don't have. So that's why, you know, a lot of the support we get in this work is coming from America and many other common law countries because we know on our bones this is true. We know, it doesn't need to be taught. It's, right, self-evident. We hold these truths to be self-evident. We already know what the truth is within ourselves. It doesn't have to be taught. So it's just really a matter of acting on it. Well, just to, to dive in a little bit deeper on this letter idea so that, you know, it's maybe something um, – a group of us could try and encourage people to do and try ourselves. What, so if this is, if, if doing, when doing this, what is the most effective way to go about it? Is it someone who's a member, finding someone who's a member of that church? Is it really just as effective to be anyone in the community? Or, um, you know, do you have any tips on how to make that the most effective, as effective as possible? It, the, really, the most effective way is to get people on the inside, for sure, because when you have the impression that you're attacking somebody, they tend to close ranks and they sh their minds are shut down. But if you approach them in a very friendly way and say, look, before your identity as a Catholic, you're a human being, you're a member of this community, we want our children safe, your church's policy prevent that, and we're going to change the policy on the ground by saying we're not going to let this happen in your church. So we need you to go to your priest and get him to promise to report child abuse. And if it means going up against this bishop, we'll rally support for him. We'll get the community out and say, you know, the church has got to change. So it, it, it's like any campaign. Education comes first. You've got to educate the people as to the real situation and the alternative you can offer them. And that takes a lot of work. But, you know, a lot of the work I do now is to travel around to communities and help people do that. Sitting down, I often sit down in living rooms with three, four, five people who want to be the core of that kind of action. And, um, you know, so if people want more information on this, they can write to me, uh, the common land. That's one word, the common land at gmail.com. And uh, I will gladly come to your communities and, and help you with this kind of, uh, you know, practical things we need on the ground to do that kind of work. Yeah, and that's the kind of thing, too, when you're talking about this community in particular is once, you know, a group is trained or experienced in something, they're very eager to share that experience and training with others so that they can then roll it out. And and I I think, you know, personally, this sounds like a, a you know, something that would be a great opportunity for many, many people to advance the ball in this arena. Are you, are you folks in Boston? As Boston I'm just west of Boston in Needham, and we have um, a Catholic parish in our neighborhood. I'm not a member, though, so that's one of the reasons I was asking that question. I'm Catholic, but not... Uh, but, uh, well, I've often been invited uh, to people, because, you know, the Boston Globe is one of the first papers in America that reported the, this whole scandal thing. Right. You remember years ago. Right. 
And there's a lot of people in the church who do not like what's going on. And, um, uh, and as a matter of fact, with the school year starting up now, um, in the fall, I'm, I'm doing a tour all over America, and the East Coast is, a, is one area that I work out of. So I'd be happy to come to the area and, and sit down with people. And, uh, you know, if you think there's the interest, we can certainly arrange that. Oh, wow. Thank you so much for offering. I think th- there, I, that might be uh, something I definitely take advantage of. Uh, okay, I didn't well, we realize can talk that about you were offline, but yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's that's great. Wonderful. Well, uh, we're going to get cut off soon, so like Evelyn, I want to make sure I thank you properly for everything you've done. I so many people have dedicated themselves to um, speaking out about this, and um, it, I I can't imagine what it must have been like prior to social media and the ability to network with others on such a large scale. But uh, I hope you feel the support and the, you know, unconditional love we all have for people like you and your willingness to persist in the face of such odds. I mean, it it really is uh, indescribable, the, the enormity of this and the difficulty uh, Thank you. Well, taking it just, down. But what what keeps me going is I just think of the children who are going to suffer tomorrow if we don't take this action. So that's something we should always right. keep in mind. So thank you right. very much for having me, and I hope we'll talk again. Thank you so much, Kevin. All the best to you. Day by day, my life gets colder. Cause then as I get older 